It is time to go racing once again in Formula One as the 2022 season is about to kick off this weekend. The Bahrain Grand Prix. I'm Tony Deziri. Thanks for joining us here at the Overtake Formula One podcast. If you are rejoining us from season number one, thank you so much. I launched this a year ago. I'm a, I'm a sports talk show host here in America based in Nashville, Tennessee. Been a Formula One fan a long time. Saw the popularity as Drive to Survive made its way to Netflix and saw more and more of my friends get interested in the sport. Looked around the landscape, didn't see a lot of sports talk show hosts in America talking about Formula One. And so I decided to take the plunge. And boy, it was more successful than I thought. So I'm really grateful to every one of you around the world. 52 countries uh, downloaded the podcast last season. And of course, we had a very interesting 2021 year, to say the least. Nothing like crowning your champion in a controversial style that has everybody talking for a couple of months afterwards. But this is a highly anticipated season because of the new cost-cutting measures and the new design of the car. There is going to be a sense that competitiveness across the board is going to be back in this sport. You're supposed to be seeing closer racing, and you're supposed to be seeing more teams able to win races than in years past. We shall see if that actually takes place. But nevertheless, going into Bahrain... There are five things to watch for this weekend for the opener for the Formula One season. Before we get to that, please, if you've listened to this podcast and you like it and haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. That's how we grow this podcast. That's how we've been growing this podcast, and I do really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. If you're brand new and just discovered us, give us a listen or two. See if you like what we're doing. If you do, I hope you will subscribe and uh, give us a five-star review as well. All right, so let's get to the five things to watch for in the Bahrain Grand Prix. And just real quick, I've got 10 burning questions for the upcoming season that I want to get to in this podcast and thoughts on Drive to Survive season number four, things I liked and th things I did not like. And of course, we'll do track talk. We'll go over the circuit real quick and give you some of the thoughts and uh, sort of facts of the Bahrain Grand Prix and in particular, the race itself coming up on Sunday. All right, so here are five things to watch for this weekend. And number one, right off the bat, it's going to be qualifying. What did we learn from preseason testing? Well, Ferrari showed some really good speed. It looked like Mercedes struggled, but always take that with a grain of salt with Mercedes. Always. Red Bull looked like, well, Red Bull. And even Haas raised some eyebrows with an incredible lap from Kevin Magnussen. This is creating great talking points, and there is going to be a thought of, is something really there? Qualifying will answer some of these questions, not all of them, but some of them in terms of how these cars are performing and how the grid is going to take you know shape on Sunday. Will we see some of the backmarker teams in the midfield? Will we see the midfield up near the top? What will it look like on Sunday when we go through the running order for the Grand Prix and how will it be different just in, you know, just in look than we've had over the last few seasons? I think this is an interesting qualifying in that it may show us everything and it may also show us nothing. Mercedes and Red Bull could still be the top dogs in the sport. Maybe Ferrari sits on the pole. Maybe McLaren does. Maybe you have uh, you know, Williams making it to Q3. Maybe you see Haas in the midfield. I have no, no idea, but that's what qualifying should provide us coming up on Saturday. Where exactly are teams at the start of the season with all of these new things that we're watching for from the aerodynamics to the new drivers in different places to the new car, to the overall drive to be competitive in this sport. What will qualifying tell us about what we saw in preseason testing and what we could see Sunday for the Grand Prix. All right. Second. Now this is common when you get into a season opener in any sport. 
NFL, NBA, baseball, whatever it is. Anytime there's an opening game, an opening match, and even an opening race, you're going to be talking about new drivers in places, old drivers in new places, just a different look to who is where on the grid for Sunday. And right off the bat, you can't talk about this without talking about George Russell. After three years at Williams, it is time for Russell Starr to take off to the stratosphere. He got what he wanted. He landed that coveted Mercedes seat. Toto Wolf gave it to him midway through the season last year, and he is ready to be alongside Lewis Hamilton in a championship car. We saw what he did in 2020. And when he raced at the Secure Grand Prix, when Hamilton had gotten COVID, he could have won that race. A late puncture prevented that. But now it's 2022. It's a new car. It did struggle in preseason testing, even though there's some sort of talk about sandbagging and Mercedes who are, are prone to do that kind of thing. Nevertheless, this is what Russell fans wanted. They wanted him in a championship car on a championship team. Now they've got it. Also, Kevin Magnuson is back in the sport, driving at Haas after the team parted ways with the Mazepins, both father and son. And he had a blistering lap last week in testing for Haas, who basically threw 2021 away in order to prepare for what 2022 was going to be in terms of the new design of the car. Valtteri Bottas, who lost his seat at Mercedes, is now driving for Alfa Romeo alongside rookie Guan Zhou. The team has two new drivers, one who has the experience of winning races and having podium finishes for Mercedes, and the other a rookie who is making his F1 debut. Nevertheless, the team is going with two new drivers as Antonio Giovinazzico and Kimi Raikkonen left the sport due to retirement. Alex Albon is back in Formula One after a year off, the former Red Bull driver in the Williams machine for George Russell. Alex Albon is a likable driver. Um, he got moved up when Pierre Gasly didn't work out, and then he didn't work out, so they signed Checo Perez. He spent a year off away from the sport, sitting in reserve position, but Alex Albon back in Formula One, driving for Williams, and the de facto lead driver. Just No offense to Nicholas Latifi, but he's going to be driver number one. The third thing to watch for this weekend, and this is more sort of theoretical, in that it's Max Verstappen and how now he's going to be the hunted. Uh, he is the world champion, and that comes with sort of the man-to-beat moniker. And sure, he had that at times last year when he was the hottest driver, but remember, when he had it, he wasn't, wasn't because he was the champion. It was because it, you know he was the hottest driver on the circuit. But now he is the champion, and while there is no reason to think he's going to drive any differently that he has won the title, we have seen athletes in the past have to make adjustments because they learned things en route to winning that championship. You know, they finally get it. And then when they reflect, they say, well, you know what? I almost lost it here. I almost lost it there. And maybe I need to rethink the way I go about my business. And they do this in every sport. doesn't matter if you're an NFL quarterback or a point guard or in the or power forward in the NBA. If you win a title and, and you look back, you kind of think, hey, hey, did I almost lose this title? And for Verstappen, he almost did. I mean, we can, we can argue the Abu Dhabi finish till we're blue in the face, but the reality of it is he almost lost that title. Red Bull would have been reevaluating some of the ways that team raced near the end of that season. And maybe Verstappen looked and said, you know, even though I won the championship, can I do things a little different so that doesn't happen again? But then again, maybe not. Verstappen's style is his style. He's going to go after every gap. He's going to race aggressively. He's going to raise eyebrows. He's going to make other drivers crazy with the way he attacks. 
And for a lot of championship drivers in all facets of motorsports, that's just the way they're designed. But it is going to be interesting with, again, the new competitiveness that is supposed to be in the sport for 2022, how teams will look at Red Bull and Verstappen. And on the flip side of that, just staying with the third thing to watch for, what about Mercedes, right? We know that they're hungry to get that title back. They felt it was taken from them. Lewis Hamilton almost walked away from the sport. Now they're coming back with a vengeance. So it's not just Max now being the hunted. It is now Mercedes being the hunter. And we haven't really seen that. So, so this is going to be an interesting 2022 from just that dynamic. But when you sprinkle in Ferrari and McLaren and teams that want to get up into that level, it, now we've, we're talking about a whole nother thing that we haven't had in the last couple of years. All right, the fourth thing, and that's the racing itself. And I mean, this goes without saying, without getting too technical, the cars for 2022 are new designs. They're not a reworking or a modification of a previous car. Uh, now you add along the cost cap that is going to bring a lot more competitiveness for this season. You've got the downforce of the new aerodynamics will mean closer racing. It should make it easier to pass, at least in theory. But this this is the first time we'll see this effect. Uh, it won't be just the leaders that we'll be watching, right? It won't just affect the front. It'll affect the midfield as teams who were in the back, maybe moving to the mid, maybe teams in the mid, maybe moving to the front teams, moving into the front, maybe back at the mid and teams in the mid, maybe moving into the back. It will all shake out. The racing itself will be fun to watch. If you're into that sort of how technically are these cars reacting to the Grand Prix itself, the racing itself, because this is what has been a talking point for 2022 is that the racing should be a lot different than what you've seen in the past. All right. Number five, little personal, but I like it. And that's the return of Nico Hulkenberg. I like Nico. I'm glad he's going to be racing this weekend. I do wish Sebastian Vettel all the best as he recovers from COVID. The sport absolutely needs Sebastian Vettel. He is the, uh, but Hulkenberg, the Aston Martin reserve driver will get behind the wheel. Uh, remember in 2020, he, he drove um, at the 70th anniversary race at Silverstone. Also raced at Germany. This was when the team was racing point, did a decent enough job. Um, he does have his detractors, but he also has supporters. I am one of them that think Nico Hulkenberg should be in Formula One full-time. He isn't, but I'm glad to see him back on the track coming up this weekend. So again, to recap the top five things to watch for for the Bahrain Grand Prix, how the cars are going to react in qualifying, old drivers in new places, a new driver on the circuit as well, how Max Verstappen will react to being the hunted, not the hunter, and Mercedes being the hunter, not the hunted. Uh, the racing itself, the competitiveness of the cars, the close racing, the ease of passing, which is what these designs are supposed to do, and Nico Hulkenberg is back on the grid. So those are the five things to watch for. All right, let's quickly get into track talk. This is just where we give you some of the characteristics of the circuit and the Grand Prix in and of itself. Pirelli bringing the hardest compound tires that they have for this Grand Prix. And don't forget, this is a new 18-inch tire that they're using. This is new for 2022 as well. The hardest tire, C1 for the hard, C2 for the mediums, C3 for the softs. This is a very abrasive circuit. A lot of granite within the asphalt is one of the highest abrasive circuits on the calendar. It's a stop-and-go circuit as well. They'll be racing on under the lights, FP1 and FP3 will be run during the day. FP2 and qualifying will more be in line with what you're seeing on the Grand Prix. This will be 15 turns and 57 laps for Sunday's race. Last year, it was won by Lewis Hamilton. All right, I want to get into, and because I said at the top of the podcast, this is more of a race preview. It is also because it's the opening race of the season, a season preview as well. 
And I've come up with about 10 burning questions that I have for this upcoming season. We're going to go through these pretty quickly, but we want to, I really do want to touch on them as, as much as I can, because I think this is the place to do it before we actually get racing underway. The number one question, and this is in no particular order, but I did put the number one question at the top. Can the sport recover from last year's finale at Abu Dhabi? I know if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, you're incensed. I get it. And I know if you're a Max Verstappen fan, you are saying, no, it doesn't matter. This is, He's the champion, and that's the way it is. I get it. There's a lot of us in the middle who looked at that finale and went, you know, it did produce one of the most exciting moments in the sport, but there's something flawed about it. There was something not quite right about it. Now, that doesn't invalidate Max Verstappen's championship. I don't care what sport you're in. If you win a championship, even if an official has made a mistake, you are the champion. We're not breaking down film of the last Super Bowl to determine whether or not the Cincinnati Bengals got robbed at any particular point by an official. right? And, and there were some controversial moments of that Super Bowl. We don't look back on championship games and say, well, let's review this just to make sure all of the rules were in place or all of the decisions that were made by officials are correct. Officials are prone to error like anybody else, but we don't take championships away because of them post-event. So Verstappen is the champion and should be the champion, should always be remembered as the champion. But it doesn't mean that we don't have some splaining to do to new fans about what exactly took place. I, I didn't like it when it was all said and done because I think that it was changing the rules at that moment to get a better product. And I'm not for that, but it did create an incredibly exciting moment, but it did create doubt as to exactly the validity of these decisions. What was it done for? Was it done because it made for good TV? Was it done because it made for good racing? Was it done because a billion eyes were on it and they just really wanted to put on a show instead of ending a championship race under a caution flag where the champion, after a season-long battle, one of the epic season-long battles, would just end with cars racing slowly across the line under a yellow? There's a lot of credibility that was lost by this sport. They're trying to get it back. But I understand people saying, I don't believe in my sport anymore. The sport needs to recover from this. And this season is going to have a couple of opportunities where it can. Number two, will Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton renew the hard racing of the previous year? I touched on this earlier. Verstappen going from the hunter to the hunted and Hamilton, the hunted to the hunter. Will they be able to... Will they do what they've done in the past? Will Verstappen go after Hamilton hard? Will Hamilton respond hard? Will we see them tangle up? It may have been some of the most dramatic moments of the season when they, those two collided, right? When I said in my season review of 2021, I think the image that I will always have of 2021 was Max Verstappen in Cops Corner heading into the wall, coming off that hit and sliding into the barrier off of Cops Corner at Silverstone. I think it was sort of encapsulated the battle between those two drivers and what could happen as they go at it at these racetracks. But will it happen again? Will they do it again? Likely, but we shall see. Three, which team is going to benefit the most from the new regulations? That's going to be interesting to me because I'm a Ferrari guy and I try not to bring that bias into this podcast, but I'm looking forward to Ferrari winning some races. 
But I'm excited for 2022 because I want teams to be able to win races on pure merit going head to head with the top teams and the top drivers on the circuit. Now, look, there's always going to be a driver that is going to capitalize on mistakes of the leader, right? You know, Hamilton is out, Verstappen is out, and there's an opening now for a new team, a new driver to take over, right? Daniel Ricciardo had a great run at Monza. Verstappen and Hamilton were out of that race due to their collision off the chicane. Same thing in Hungary. Esteban Ocon of Alpine was able to win the race. Half the field was out on the first turn of the first lap. And uh, Lewis Hamilton made a mistake staying on wet tires and everybody else went in for slicks. And he was left high, you know, high and dry and had to work his way up through the field from last place to try to catch him. And Esteban Ocon wins the race. Those are great results. They're always going to be remembered as Formula One winners. But I want teams to start winning on their own merit, going head to head with the best teams, the best drivers and winning races. And I think 2022 can do that. But who is going to benefit the most from these new regulations right now it does look like ferrari has got a hell of a car a real hell of a car and i am excited to see what they can do and put that you know into victory lane how much pressure this is number four how much pressure is going to be on daniel ricardo this season look he was a race winner last year but we spent a lot of time talking about his struggles and now he has missed preseason testing and now because of covid and now he's going to have to play catch up this year Daniel Ricciardo is one of the most dynamic drivers in the sport, but he's getting older and there is a crop of young drivers ready to come in and take this sport over again. I don't think Ricardo is ready to lose his job or not be renewed when the time has come, but this season is going to have pressure on Ricardo like never before. It was one thing last year to get new, you know, used to a new team, but he has missed preseason testing and and coming into this year, I think there's going to be a lot of focus on how him and McLaren are going to try to get back because his struggles early prevented McLaren from getting P3 in the Constructors' Championship last year. And I know Lando Norris struggled a little bit as well uh, towards the latter part of the season. Number five, will Ferrari be a championship contender this year? Touched on it a little bit. They've got a very fast car from testing. Will they be a championship contender? The, uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see in the end how Mercedes and Red Bull are looking. Are they back to the pack? Is the pack caught up with them? And if so, where is Ferrari in that, in that hierarchy? I do think Ferrari can be competitive. If everything we're hearing about this car and about the competitiveness on the track is going to be true, I think Ferrari is going to be vying for this championship. Um, six, how much momentum does the future of the Andretti team have, if any? This is very interesting for me as an American. I'd love to see an Andretti team in Formula One, Colton Herta, an American driver in Formula One. And I think the time is right for that because, again, the popularity is growing in the country. But we've seen this kind of stuff fizzle out before. He was about ready to buy um, Alfa Romeo. That didn't go through. Sometimes these are just stories with a lot of legs, and sometimes these are stories with not a lot of... You know, stuff behind it. By all indication, this is serious. They have the capital. They look like they can put together a team for a for a run in the next couple of years. It will be Colton Herta if if indeed they do go into Formula One. It should be exciting for Americans who want to have kind of a rooting interest in this sport. Um, let's see, but. This story could be one that is being talked about at various points in the season. It might be a big conversation over the summer when we get to winter break. Seven. Will Lando Norris win his first race? My God, he was close, right? At Sochi, stayed out when it was wet, slid off the track, lost the race. He is knocking on the door. He didn't have the car really to go up against Verstappen and Hamilton, so he had to pick sort of his battles where he could be competitive enough to be at the top and see what happens. If you get a more competitive field, will Lando Norris capture that first 
title, that first Formula One victory. I hope he does because Lord knows that poor guy at Sochi, I fell for him. I really did. Uh, Eight, uh, can Haas get out of the basement? All right, now, Haas was not only bad last year, they were super bad. Like, like of all the drivers that participated in Formula One races, Nikita Mazepin finished 21st out of 21 drivers, meaning a reserve driver did better than he did. But he's now out of the sport. Kevin Magnussen is back in. This is a team that abandoned any sort of um, upgrades to the 2021 car, development of the 2021 car. They were okay with finishing back of the pack. All their focus was on 2022. It absolutely looks like, just by what what we saw, that it has paid off. Now, I don't think they're a championship-level team. Nobody is saying that, but they were the guaranteed basement dwellers last season with Mazepin and Schumacher, two rookies, getting their feet wet in the sport. And now, with a season under his belt for Mick Schumacher and Kevin Magnussen back in the sport, can Haas get out of the basement? And if Haas is out of the basement, who's in it? Because Williams is doing everything it possibly can to get back into midfield form. You've got Alfa Romeo with Valtteri Botas behind the wheel. They'll struggle with Juan Ujou, but they've got Valtteri Botas in their stable. Who will be the team that will be last in the 2022 season? Which team will that be? Uh, and then the number nine thing is Lewis Hamilton. Can he win world title number eight this season? And if he doesn't, can he win it the year after that? It looks like the writing has been on the wall for the for those who really cover Hamilton that he's probably going to be done in a couple of years within the sport. I know that there was speculation of him leaving uh, you know, after what happened at Abu Dhabi. Uh, people were thinking that he had enough. Now uh, that was a tough way to lose a championship. Uh, to be honest with you, I felt for him. I I again, it was exciting. I was screaming at the top of my lungs, but I also knew uh, something was a bit flawed here. But with this new look for formula one that we are anticipating can hamilton be the top dog in a more competitive formula one and how can he turn that into a championship number eight for his career and number 10 and this has nothing to do with on the track it has nothing to do with the teams it has everything to do with promotion it has everything to do with a vehicle that has been used for its popularity over the last couple of years it is the reason I started this podcast when I saw my friends watching this show and, and diving into this sport, and they knew I was a Formula One fan. Is Drive to Survive losing its luster? Max Verstappen did not participate in Season 4. Uh, Checo Perez said he may not participate because he had them at his house and he had filmed a whole bunch of stuff for them. They didn't even use it. And he also thought it was very unfairly portrayed, the Red Bull and the uh, Mercedes battle of 2021. Will other drivers follow suit if they don't like the way they were portrayed, right? Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris, they had a look like they didn't like each other. By all accounts, that wasn't really true. This is what reality shows do best. I made, I made this point before. The, the, when you bring a camera crew to film sports in a reality environment, they are looking for controversy. They are looking for conflict. They are looking for things that are beyond the norm. There's a, uh, a series in America, if you've followed it, they follow the NFL, you know it's hard knocks. They go to a training camp. They film a football team as they prepare for the upcoming season. And inevitably, there's always a fight. Well, I've covered the NFL for over 20 years. There's always fights when teams 
are joint practicing in training camp when the you know the Patriots go and work out with the Saints, for example, or whatever it may be, or the Broncos are hosting in the L.A. Chargers. There's always going to be fights because it's hot and it's tiring and people are doing things wrong and people are doing things that drive you crazy and you start throwing some punches. When you have the cameras of a reality show on you, they're going to take that and hype that up even more than it is, even if the two guys are laughing about it uh, 15 minutes later or 20 minutes later when the practice is over. right? But that's not the way reality TV works. Drive to Survive has been hugely successful in, in helping the sport gain popularity, but it is also on the verge of losing the thing it does best, which is giving you a story to follow in the Formula One season or recapping stories of the Formula One season if they keep angering these guys that they're covering. If these guys feel like, oh my God, that's not the way it is at all, and now I've got to go to my team and my teammate and tell them about that? More drivers are going to say no, and then what does this show become? All right, speaking of the show, and I'm going to close this podcast with a few thoughts on season four of Drive to Survive. I like this show. I'm not in love with this show, but I like this show. I understand what they're trying to do, and I understand that during the COVID shutdown, we were all looking for things to watch, how some people jumped in on Drive to Survive and said, that's my thing. I want to know more about this sport. I got a favorite driver now. I got a favorite team. It looks cool. It looks glamorous. It looks you know, highly entertaining. It's exciting. It's dangerous. I get it. I get it. But as I said earlier, you run the risk of making big deals out of little deals and no deal out of big deals, depending on how you want to paint that in a television program. So drive to survive season four at times was really good. It was, it was really good. It was, there was some really entertaining spots in it. I thought what they did to open up the season in with, with Bahrain was fantastic. That was one of the most exciting races of the season. Right off the bat, we got Hamilton and Verstappen battling for the checkered flag. And Hamilton edging out Max for that first win of the season. And remember when Max made a pass and had to give, the, give it up and then just couldn't quite catch Lewis. I think they, they gave you a good picture of that. I really do. And I think they set the season up well in talking about the different drivers and Fernando Alonso returning to the sport and his relationship with Esteban Ocon. I also think they did a good job of the Christian Horner total wolf battle. Although I do think they sort of overblew it a little bit. Uh, there were a couple of misses though. And I, I think this is kind of important one knowing what we know now. And I, I get it. You know, they, they put it out, they put it out and, and had it all packaged up. I wouldn't have spent as much time on Nikita Mazepin as that show did. I think there are more interesting drivers than Nikita Mazepin. I don't think he deserved an entire show talking about his struggles and then going to Sochi. I, 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 I don't know what the point was. He never finished in the points. He never had a, a aha moment. He was yelling at his engineers all the time. And he wasn't a story. I'm sorry. We did the Mazda spin thing at the beginning of the season and you know whatnot, but he, he wasn't a story. I'm sorry. And I don't really need to see his background. I know his father was heavily, you know, putting money into it. And I guess there was an angle there, but I think there were more drivers that had an interesting 2021 than Nikita Mazepin. So I thought they, they blew it there. And now given what we know now, that the fact that he and his father are out of formula one racing, I don't think it was necessary. I, I think it's just, an, you know, who cares? It's an afterthought. I don't think they did a good job. Time. I don't think they did a good job really giving you the final few races of the year. I wish they spent a, 
a little bit more time with that. Now, if I had an executive from Drive to Survive on, you know, the per person in charge of production, he probably would have said, look, this isn't a yearbook, right? We were taking stories and personalities and giving them some space and each team that we were spending time with, giving them some space. Um, I get it. Okay, so if you want to hang out with Alpine one weekend and you want to then talk about them winning in Hungary, but talk about a particular race you're with them, I understand. But I don't think they did justice to what we saw at the end of the season last year. I Just quickly going over Verstappen winning at the U.S. Grand Prix, that's ridiculous. That was one of the more strategically sound races for Red Bull that we've seen all year. They went to Hamilton country and out Hamilton, Hamilton. And then after that, he wins in Mexico. He looks like he's got this championship, but then they go to Brazil and they hardly ever touch on it at all. Brazil was one of the most incredible weekends we've seen any driver ever have. I mean, he was racing a rocket ship and they kept putting him back and back and he kept fighting his way through making overtake after overtake one by a mile. I mean, he, he, dominated that entire weekend overcoming everything that was thrown his way from the sprint race to the Grand Prix. It was one of the better drives we've seen a Formula One driver ever have and they barely touched on it. They didn't give you the background of it. The only thing they really showed was there was that little you know incident uh, with, with Verstappen trying to hold off Hamilton and Toto Wolff and then later was like pointing at the camera like, yes! And while they did a good job at Jeddah, they gave you the full kind of story of that race. I just don't think they really emphasized some of the critical moments and the final few races of the season that led to what Abu Dhabi became. Um, and then, and this is, this is, I love Susie Wolf, but I didn't really quite understand why she was in the documentary. I mean, I respect her as a race, female race car driver and her knowledge of the sport. It's, it's great. She, and she is great, but she's the wife of the Mercedes team principal. And even though she's knowledgeable about the sport, they already had him, right? So why did they need another Mercedes mouthpiece, right? They, I mean, Christian Horner was, was representing Red Bull in the series and Mercedes got to have Toto Wolf and Susie Wolf. So I, I don't know. And again, I like Susie Wolf a lot and I hope this doesn't come off as I didn't really like seeing her, but I just thought it was a little unfair. So those were a couple of hit and misses. Overall, though, I go back to my original point. If you start painting drivers in a in a in in unrealistic ways, if you start creating drama that wasn't really there, uh, making little deals into big deals, and having drivers answer for it, they're going to stop participating. And one of the joys of this docu series is driver participation. I love when they talk about things. I love when they talk about races and their struggles and their successes. And if drivers feel like if they sit down or that camera's on them and they're not going to be able to be truthful, you don't have a, a compelling enough series. This has been absolute money for Liberty Media and their promotion of this sport, especially in the United States, where they want promotion in the United States. But be careful, because I can tell you right now, if Checo Perez decides not to do it, it's not long before Lando says no. It's not long before even Daniel Ricciardo, who loves every camera he sees for him to say no to. So be careful drive to survive. I love what you're doing. It's, it, it's been great. I listen, it's the only reason I can talk formula one with my friends. Okay. I spent years not talking formula one with anybody. All right. I just, you know, I, I love NASCAR and IndyCar, but I couldn't talk formula one with anybody, anybody. Right. And just a quick background. I started covering motorsports when I got into the media business out of college. I really didn't know much about it. My boss was wanting me to do a racing show. So this was in the early 90s. And I 
you know, learned everything I could about every series and formula one was just fascinating to me because of Monaco and because of, you know, the drivers of the past and Ferrari and whatnot. And I've stayed with it. I've had my, you know, ups and downs in terms of the interest, but nevertheless drive to survive has taken it to another level with people around me. Like I, I get asked about this all the time. I get messages from friends all the time. Hey man. So I drive to survive. I was wondering if I could talk to you about this sport. I'm really, really, really interested in it. And I know you're, you're doing a podcast and I know you've, you'd love formula one. I get that because of drive to survive. Okay. So that's not only our race preview, our season preview. We're going to have a review of the Grand Prix early next week. Again, Subscribe to this podcast if you like what we're doing. Leave us a five-star review. We really could use the support. Really appreciate it. I'm Tony Desiri. We will see you next week when we talk about everything that we saw Sunday from the Bahrain Grand Prix. This is the Overtake Formula One Podcast.